0: seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops and studios who design with American grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Our partnership is such a valuable one, providing a forum for beautiful and inspiring editorial content in the Slow Flowers Journal section, month after month. Thanks to Florist Review, you can now order a subscription for yourself and give one as a gift this holiday season. Set your 2020 intention to enrich your personal and professional development. You can find the Buy One, Gift One special offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 432. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers by lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency. Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at FarmersWeb.com. 50 States of Slow Flowers continues today with a stop in West Virginia. You'll meet Tamara Huff of Morning Glory Flowers based in Glenville, West Virginia in the second portion of this episode. I'm so excited for you to learn more about Tamara and the special role she's playing as our guest artist for American Flowers Week 2020, so stay tuned. But first, it's that time again, the annual Slow Flowers Holiday Music Special. Today's guest is Carolyn Kolb of Folk Art Flowers, based in Seattle. Carolyn and I met in the fall of 2018, and I've enjoyed watching how she fully participates in the benefits available to Slow Flowers members, from submitting designs to our monthly idea gallery in house.com to showing up and volunteering for projects like an installation at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market to celebrate American Flowers Week. Last April, while chatting with Carolyn, at the Whidbey Flower Workshop, I learned that she is not only an inspiring farmer florist, but also a musician. She plays and teaches violin and is a member of a honk band called Neon Brass Party here in Seattle. You'll hear more about this musical chapter of her life during our interview. I often try and feature a musical guest during the holiday season. So when I learned about Carolyn's other artistic outlet, I asked if she would join me today and share some of her talents for this episode. You'll hear portions of a violin piece that Carolyn played for me in person and will also feature some of her digital music compositions. But mostly today we talk flowers, including the trials and challenges facing a startup farmer florist. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Here's more about Carolyn Kolb and Folk Art Flowers. Carolyn says she started folk art after a long journey doing work that did not match her strengths. She continues, early on, I worked with the Peace Corps, which was incredible, mostly because I got to work with farmers all day. I kept climbing the ladder, including jobs that let me travel, but I was miserable behind a desk. What I did love about my career was working with other farmers in the field and connecting with people and nature. So I decided to start doing more of that. After moving to Seattle, I joined the Sustainable Farming Education Program at Tilth Alliance, which is an incubation program for beginning farmers. I joined a farm to experience a full season in action and started growing flowers in my backyard. I also did a lot of arranging and experimentation to improve my craft and designed full-service flowers for several weddings. I also joined two bands, which is another story. After this wonderful incubation period of creativity and learning, I finally decided to start Folk Art Flowers. I'm so excited and grateful to be able to share some of my joy by bringing beautiful, local, and sustainably produced flowers to my customers. As a design studio, Folk Art Flowers offers a flower subscription service, individual arrangements, wedding and event flowers, and more. Carolyn sources flowers locally through family farms in the Pacific Northwest, farms that employ sustainable growing practices. In the winter months, she occasionally sources botanical ingredients from California, saying, I believe in American-grown flowers and will never use flowers that are flown in from another country. As you'll hear from Carolyn, in 2019, with new leased land, she began to realize her dream to grow all of her own botanicals. Her commitment to sustainability includes everything from growing flowers using organic practices to recycling vases. It also includes a philosophy of building soil health naturally, avoiding the use of pesticides through integrated pest management, using only organic fertilizers, providing habitat for wildlife and bees, and rotating crops. Enjoy our conversation and visit DeborahPrinzing.com for episode 432 to see photos, hear more music, and find links to Folk Art Flowers' social places. Let's get started. sounds pretty. Oh, thanks. Okay we've just but tuned up. <laughs> I'm so excited to start our podcast for today. Every um, Well this is the fifth year I've had a musical guest for our um, holiday Slow Flowers podcast special and I'm so happy to welcome you Carolyn to be part of it. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah thanks for having me. Uh, Carolyn Kulb of Folk Art Flowers here in Seattle at Thank you for saying yes, as I said, and I want to introduce you to our podcast community. So, ah, welcome. Thank you. This is awesome. All right. We're going to hear some music um, throughout the show, but we also want to talk about your floral side of your life. So, give us a snapshot of Folk Art Flowers. Great name, by the way. I just think it's... Thank you. Something cool about it.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I um, Well, I'm from the South, and Folk Art is definitely a tradition in the South, and... um. So I love the idea of having a really sophisticated floral business that has a a folksy name, Um, but yeah. So Folk Art Flowers, I started last year, so I'm kind of brand new. I think we met about Um, a year ago. Yeah, last fall. Yeah, at the Um, Tilth Alliance uh, Washington Tilth Conference. conference. Yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, I was just kind of getting my feet wet back then, and now it's a totally different story, but... Now you're up to your neck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a little bit. Well, um, yeah, so yeah. What, is, what is, how do you describe folk art flowers?
1: Um, so, we are like a, a local boutique flower studio and flower farm that focus on um, sustainably produced and beautiful flowers, um, and everything is local, or as local as possible in months like this, where... Nothing is growing, um, and it's challenging to source, so we, you know, if there are weddings or other things that are happening, you know, I'm sourcing from California mm-hmm. as much as I can,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or Oregon. Sometimes they have great stuff these mm-hmm. months, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so lots of wedding work and some uh, CSA components, so I have a little monthly Um, Most of my subscribers are monthly, Mm -hmm. um, where I deliver little bouquets or arrangements to them. Um, This month, it was little dried wreaths for the holidays, so that was their monthly goodies.
0: Oh, so it's just Um, ongoing, 12 months of the year.
1: Yeah, I do it year-round, and um, I might tweak that next year. We'll see what happens as we're doing more production Mm -hmm. um, on the farm side, but... (coughs) I do that, and then uh, I've, I've done some like one off, you know, dailies, mm-hmm. uh, but that obviously I think will be much more challenging when I'm farming full time, also. Um, so I'll probably discontinue doing that and just focus on um, CSA deliveries
0: and wedding work. So, Carolyn, when you, when you started Folk Art Flowers, were you intending to be primarily a florist? Or, because you didn't have land, right? I didn't
1: have land. I'm an optimist at heart, so no, I wanted to be a, f- a farmer florist. Okay. Um, so I just made it my goal to find land and, you know, make it happen. Because you live right in the I city did. of Seattle, right? Yes, I live in Fremont, um, yeah. and my husband works downtown, so, um, you know, moving out like three hours away was not an option mm-hmm. um so yeah i i found land through farm link with tilt alliance
0: and farm link is like a database of available farmland yeah uh, it's mm-hmm. like
1: a yeah it has listings of farmland and then it also has listings of farmers mm-hmm. so if you have extra land that you want put into production you can actually go in and find a farmer for your land which i think is pretty cool i love it Match- um, matchmaking yeah it's like farm matchmaking so Um, I found land through that and, uh, you know, worked on a lease and like worked with the property owner. And, um, I think I started, I guess in the summer is kind of when I solidified having that land to work with. And so it was kind of late in the season Mm -hmm. for me to do much with it. uh, What's the scale again? So it's, the property itself is about 10 acres and it's bisected by the Griffin Creek, which is in Carnation um, and the northern half of the property, they're building a house on and doing all sorts of fun things. And the southern half is basically just like a grass field. So that's where I'm farming. And it's about that field itself is about four acres. I'm farming about two of it.
0: Wow. And Carnation is just for people who don't know, it's like east of Wash, uh, east of Seattle. Yeah, in Washington, right?
1: Yeah, it's just east of, like, I live on the north side of Seattle. So I just take you know, the Highway East, and it's like a 40, 45-minute commute, okay. so it's totally doable.
0: And Carnation's pretty, in, in our area, has been known for agriculture for a long yeah. time. Yeah, that
1: condensed milk you get for the holidays <laughs> when you're making, like, pumpkin pies is Carnation Farms milk, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. A lot of dairy farms out there. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: um, well, okay, good news, bad news. You got the land, but you didn't get it to the middle of summer, so right. what were you able to do in the summer of nineteen? Um, So this summer was a lot of, like this year has been a lot of planning
1: and like figuring out production and sourcing and all of that fun stuff. So um, I've got spreadsheets on spreadsheets and, (laughs) you know, all of my well-laid plans for next season, which is exciting. Um,
0: So your seed planning and and your your annuals and other crops. mm
1: -hmm. So I've got my seed planning almost finished and So I'll be able to put in a well-informed seed order, which is great, rather than just guessing and hoping. Um, And then also planning, like, perennial parts of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm leasing, so I kind of want to plant things that are going to transplant well in case I have to move. Um, But, yeah, doing some perennial planning and sourcing and then, you know, buying things like a hoop house and... Um, tarps and like equipment and all of that stuff. Um, infrastructure. Infrastructure, yeah, because it is just like a grass field. So, so
0: you're you're having to front load an investment then financially. Totally, yeah. Wow. How's that going?
1: <laughs> um, it's going. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, the nice thing is that a lot of the equipment investments are things that could be resold if they mm-hmm. had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you buy a BCS tractor and you want to resell it. Um, you can almost never find them used. Okay. They're in such high demand. And so that's an investment that I'm kind of not worried about right. covering my, right. you know, any loss there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's challenging. Like I've, you know, I've had this side gig of teaching as like my little farm slush fund because I, um, you know, have to fund it somehow. And, um, it's, it's a lot, but it's worth it to do it right rather yeah. than battle like, you know, grass coming back all the time or weeds everywhere or, you know, poor soil fertility and then we have poor yields and, you know, not enough flowers for things. So That's I That's a really good point. It's... I would so much rather like invest up front and have it done right than suffer later on because of it. And since it's just me, like a lot of it is labor saving right investment.
0: So But even just I just picked up on a few things that you said about um, you know, a well-informed seed order. Like, how many people actually are well-informed? Many people just like I know. If it was me, I just get everything I thought was pretty and that I, that I loved. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're thinking about six, sort of how how the whole year will look with mm-hmm. what you grow from spring to late fall right
2: yeah
1: and i've had enough time this year that i actually am looking like which is insane i know but week by week like what would i have ready for Mm -hmm. that week Mm -hmm. um and you know like if i have a wedding that week what's going to be ready what can i plan at what time to make sure i can harvest it that week um which especially comes in handy for weddings because one of the great things i can offer is saying like You know, here's this special touchstone of your relationship. I can grow something that is a tribute to that. Mm -hmm. So, an example is that I have a bride next year whose um, fiancé is Peruvian. And he proposed at Machu Picchu. It was super romantic. Oh, my god! His cousins were there to, like, photograph it. It was super sweet. And, um, you know, quinoa grows there. And they have now this ornamental quinoa that you can grow um, and it's beautiful. It's almost like an amaranth.
0: Mm-hmm. Adds this texture to the bouquet? F- okay. Yeah.
1: So I was like, let's grow some quinoa for you. And, you know, it won't be a lot
0: because it's just for her wedding. But, you know, why not? Try it. Hopefully like, it works out. <laughs> so creative, too. Yeah. Um, and that, so that kind of custom growing is also sort of uh, beyond. It's more design-centric farming. Yeah. And having that intentionality.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things I'll probably be offering next year is selling stems to florists because as a florist myself, like I kind of know what people are looking for and what runs out at the market and you know, all of the things in the height of wedding season where you're like, does anyone have this thing? And yeah. so um <laughs> So you're gonna be that girl. <laughs> I'm hoping to be that person that's like, Yes, I can raise my hand and say I have this thing. Um it's probably
0: something that's white, right?
1: Uh yeah, or blush. Okay. Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean so that would be a nice facet to have um <clears throat> growing what you know you would use in your designs, but if you didn't have a wedding that week, you probably could offer it to your peers, totally. other designers yeah We're and even, to have it,
1: yeah, and even some of just the more like odd or unusual or unique things that maybe aren't a sure thing for other growers like mm-hmm. at the you know the wholesale market, um just like even this um you know uh quinoa, like who knows it might it might be gorgeous. and might be like something that everyone's like, what is that? Where do I get it? Who knows? And then maybe you expand. And then maybe that's a thing I start growing every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love doing those kinds of little experiments and I've, I've been trialing stuff in my backyard all this year, um, to see what I like and what I don't and what's annoying to pick and <laughs> harvest and what's not. So, um, you're a
0: researcher. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, by training too. Well, we'll talk about that. I do want to jump in and have you play a piece for us. If you'd be willing to. Carolyn brought her violin. Describe what this violin is called. Is it a manufacturer that we would know? Oh, gosh,
1: no. It's like a student beater violin. (laughs) (laughs) She says.
2: We don't believe
1: it. It's like really, it's honest, I've had this violin since I was in middle school.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, You take good care of your things.
1: (laughs) I try. But no, it really is a beater. Like, if you look at it, there's scratches and dents and whatever, because it's seen some stuff. Um, I also play with a party band, so the, I mean, this violin has been to parties, so it's not not precious, precious, yeah. and it's not going to sound as amazing as like a normal classical violin would sound because um, it's not, you know, a three hundred fifty thousand dollars violin. <laughs> it's like
0: a two hundred dollars violin. <laughs> well, we're celebrating your uh, other other art form, which is music, and. Yeah. Um, I ask you if you would play a piece for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about how you have um, integrated music into your life, uh, among other things. Is that since that sound yeah, good? It sounds yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Right. <clears throat> and you, you said this piece has a funny, a, a fun name.
1: Oh uh. my gosh. Okay, I might have bit off more than I could chew at this, y'all. So um, it's called the Devil's Trill.
0: Trill makes me think it's fast.
1: <laughs> it does get fast at the end. Um, so if I mess up, which is likely, just you know, don't at me; it'll be fine. We
0: won't. We'll just we'll just <laughs> um, assume it's a lot like weeding. Uh-huh. You just, uh huh. just fits and starts. Um, but you have been teaching violin for years.
1: Yeah, I. Um, so actually, one of my wonderful bandmates um, from a band I was in, a brass band I was in. Um, is the music director for a local music school and was like, we really need a violin teacher. Would you be willing to teach? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Um, so I've been playing for, I guess, probably 20 years. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, that's been my, like, side hustle the last couple of years is I teach two days a week and... You know, I te- I get to teach like little kids who are five or adults, and it's so much fun. Oh my gosh! And um, that's
0: that's your flower slush fund. I love that. Yeah, that's
1: my that's my farm slush fund. So that's my.
0: Uh... <laughs> so folks, this is the music that's helping bring folk art flowers to life. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way. Of All right, let's hear Devil's Trill. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let me just.
0: Thank
2: you
0: yeah okay so we'll we're going to continue the conversation after our musical interlude and we're going to play some other of carolyn's pieces Um, thank you for that yeah you're welcome you just told me that piece is from the 18th century yeah it's um
1: either from 1713 or 1740 we don't know but it's by um giuseppe tartini he's a an, an italian composer
0: wow well, you told me that you picked it because it was um, also copyright-free. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. So, okay, you've got this farm, farm passion, this floral design passion. You're a musician, but I know you have a long history before any of this. So give us a snapshot of your path. What drew you to flowers? Yeah. Um, it was not a journey was it
1: no no I'm I'm no young spring chicken um
0: well yes you are (laughs) well okay
1: but yeah it took me a long time to get to this point um and I'm not one of those people who had like an amazing garden growing up. That their mom was like always picking beautiful flowers. Like my mom had one rose bush that was my grandmother's that she resented all the time because <laughs> it wouldn't do what she wanted. And like the swamp climate. Um, Wait, and where
0: in the south did you grow up?
1: <laughs> I'm from almost Alabama, which is the panhandle of Florida. Okay, so Pensacola um, is where I grew up, and you know our yard had like lots of grass and then we had like a couple of gardenia bushes which are still my favorite and then gloriosa lilies which were just there wow and now people are spending like however much per stone here and it always cracks me up because we were like they were weeds you know wow
0: i had no idea
1: um and then wisteria and like that's about it um so i my prerogative i think when i was 18 and ready to go off to school was to like get out of small town life um and so I went to college, and I majored in international studies and, like, women's studies, which is now probably gender studies. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my husband, which was wonderful, and, you know, we, we met when I was, I guess, 18 or 19, and we are still together, so. Wow.
0: that's pretty amazing. Yeah, we've been together name? forever. Cass. Cass. Yeah. I did
1: get to meet him. Yeah. He's delightful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm biased, but he is. Um, and then... Yeah, so then we both did master's degrees, and we kind of traded off who was working. Um, and I did mine in Atlanta at Emory, and I did a master's of public health and global health. Um, I did research in Kenya. I published a couple of papers on that, on a microcredit model in Kenya. Wow. Um, then I started working with the CDC and doing a bunch of infectious disease research and... Um, I did Peace Corps in Mali and West Africa and, like, learned the local language and did all of this stuff, but... That's amazing. um, What a career. (laughs) It's kind of wild, like, when I think about it, because I'm not that old, and I've done a lot of interesting things. Um, But I always... I would get sent on these trips, like, or I would study abroad, or I would be in my, like, village in Peace Corps, and I would always, like, hang out and find the farmers. Hmm. I would always hang out with the farmers, because they knew everything. They knew what the weather was going to be like. They knew what grew well, what was in season to eat. And I love to eat. Um, they like knew everybody because mm. when you're a farmer, you're always like sourcing stuff from people or like putting things together or like scavenging or, how about, how or like... How about the community almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, so everywhere I went, like if it was in Costa Rica, I would hang out with the coffee farmers. If it was in Mali, I would hang out with the women like vegetable farmers. And then in the summer, we would go hang out with the millet farmers in the field. And those are always men. Um... And, you know, like, no matter where I was, I would, like, sneak off to, like,
0: go find the farmers or, like,
1: ask people who were, like, infectious disease experts. I'd be like, yeah, but what about the farming?
0: Um, And actually, that's sort of become... It's, like, the universal thread that connects every culture. It totally is. Like, your food has to come from
1: somewhere. Agricultural products come from somewhere. And the people who make them have so much more in common with each other than you would believe.
2: Like,
1: Mm. um, so, yeah, I just... That was kind of the thing that made me start thinking, like, hmm, I wonder what's happening that I'm always, like, finding farmers to hang out with and befriending these farmers. Um, And so I kept working for a while, and then I started growing my own vegetables and growing my own stuff and um, growing flowers. And uh, the last job I had abroad was in Sierra Leone, and um, it just didn't work out for, like, a myriad of reasons. Um, And so when we came back, we had visited Seattle and really loved it. And our friends from the South moved out here and never came back, you know, like, they just never came back to visit. So, um, we were like, huh, there must be something to it.
0: Because when you were in the U.S., when you weren't traveling, you are kind of Atlanta-based?
1: Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Like, we lived in Atlanta for about eight years. Okay. Um, and so,
0: so... you like cities,
1: obviously. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're city people. My husband especially, um... And I could go either way, but, like, the suburbs are, like, the enemy, you know, yeah. for me. <laughs> I'm, like, either rural or city. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the in-between. Um, but, yeah, we moved out here, and I kind of looked for work and wasn't seeing anything I was super excited about. Um, you know, a lot of the work I had done, I would reached a point where it was either, like, get a PhD and do, you know, be the primary investigator on studies and mm-hmm. do that research as a full-time thing, or find something else Mm -hmm. um and when I started looking for work it was a lot of like you know lower pay research assistant kind of stuff at UW or whatever which is fine you know it's great UW does a bunch of amazing work um and I just was not stoked about any of
0: it Um, it wasn't your research you'd be helping someone else with their right agenda
1: yeah and same for like the Gates Foundation which does incredible work but like you know they're I have friends there and they're always traveling or they're always like doing some really high pressure project Mm -hmm. and you know I I had done that for 10 years and managed multi-million dollar projects and like that wasn't fun (laughs) Um, so I went to farm school and I joined TILT's beginning farmer program last year. Um, and tell
0: people what Tilth is, who for those who don't. Yeah, know. Yeah,
1: it's um so it's a local nonprofit, and they've now they're now across all of Washington. Mm-hmm. So it used to be Seattle Tilth, and then other TILTs in Washington, and now it's all one big organization. Um, and they do a lot of work around um, supporting farmers, uh, beginning and you know experienced. Um, They do a lot of food justice work and do um, what's called good food bags. They distribute like food to lots of people and food pantries and people in need. Um, They do even just like backyard gardener classes. They do compost classes and permaculture classes and grow your own, you know, whatever, have chickens, like all of that stuff. So they do a ton of education um, and advocacy work. and. They have this beginner farmer program that ended this year, but it might come back in some form. Who knows? Um, so like how long were you taking that class? So it was like basically a, a season long class. So <clears throat> I think we started in February and ended in November. Okay.
0: And this was in 2018 you did this? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> um, and so we did a lot of classroom stuff. We went to farms and looked at all of their production processes and how they did certain things and.
0: Got to ask all of our dumb questions um, to everybody. Um, Kind of in, like, classroom, textbook, but also application, real-time field trips on site.
1: Yeah. And lots... I mean, you know, I learn best by, like, seeing, doing, touching, all of that. So... Absolutely. That was the best, was going to people's farms and being like, what is this thing? How do you use it? Show us how you built it. Like, all of that stuff.
0: When you were doing that, how many people were in your class? um, Um, I think... We probably ended up with, like, 15 people Mm -hmm. who were, like, regulars. And were you the only flower-centric person, or did you even know No, at the time?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I kind of was thinking I would like to do flowers more than anything else, Um, but I wasn't the only flower person in my class. Um, A good friend of mine now, Alyssa O'Sullivan, runs Sweet Alyssum Farm, Uh and she and I did farm class together. Oh, wow. Um, and so she's, she also was like really interested in flowers and so now we are always comparing notes because we're kind of, you know, in the same place in our business and in our farming and, um, it's really great to have that mm-hmm. resource, um, mm-hmm. another person who gets it. Yeah, um, that's interesting.
0: I think I followed <laughs> her on Instagram. Yeah. So you, um, when you and I met, you had just kind of finished that farm school and you had, were yeah. attending a tilth conference that... I was on a panel with the Washington Flowers Project people mm-hmm. uh, talking about it, and you, you introduced yourself and told, you told me you, you had your business name then. Yeah. You had Folk Art Flowers. Yeah, so.
1: I had started sort of <clears throat> ruminating on that um, as the farm class was coming to a close, and part of it was the farm class itself um, asked us to like create a business plan and like come up with our marketing plans and all of that stuff, mm. so um, I had been thinking about it for a while, and I think I finally like filed all the paperwork, you know, shortly before that conference. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling confident about my, you know, little yeah. starting up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's since then it's been great. Like I've found farmland. I'm excited to farm a first full season, not just a little trial garden next year. Um, I've got weddings
0: booked. I've yeah, been doing tons I'm of stuff. So it's impressed. Like you super great. You did weddings. <laughs> Design weddings in 2019 and you're already booking for twenty twenty, right? Yeah,
1: and I did some weddings last year too. Um and so that, you know, like building that portfolio and, and also freelancing is always like such a great way of learning things because I learned something new from every single person I freelance with, every single time I freelance with wow. them. Um and it's because everyone works so differently, like all of us in all of our jobs, no matter what job it is, we do things slightly differently, mm-hmm. and so just seeing kind of those processes in action is really interesting. Um, so I'm like a sponge when I freelance, I'm just like soaking everything up.
0: But your floral design skills came from where? Did you just jump in and start doing it, or a little bit? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I did my own wedding, and oh, I had you didn't done tell us that.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that was a while ago. I think we will have been married 10 years in 2020, which is wild. Um, Time flies. But, yeah, I did my own wedding, and, like, I've always had flowers in the house. Mm -hmm. So it's been, like, you know, every few weeks, like, there's a new arrangement happening um, for a long time. And so uh, I, I guess I've sort of learned through all sorts of means. I've studied with, you know, really wonderful professional people, like, Toby Nelson mm-hmm. and like Sue McLeary mm-hmm. and taking some of her classes and um, I've just done YouTube deep dives and I've freelanced with people and I've done my own experimenting and a lot of times like on my to-do list is make something pretty. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to keep making things. You, you do even that. if you're even if you're like, oh, I'm swamped with marketing or farm planning
0: or whatever, like making something pretty is really important. I've noticed that about you. And when I uh, send out the um, calls for submissions for the gallery we do every month on the house, uh, you're more often than not sending me something that you've just created in response to that ingredient. Yeah,
1: sometimes it is. I go to the market and I'm like,
0: Debra needs a photo. I'm doing this. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. That's so (laughs) neat. No, well, it it pays off because I can see that, first of all, they're super seasonal because you're right in the moment working with something. It's not... Pulling from some archive of, you know, of an Instagram post five years ago. Yeah, I know. Um, I think your point about freelancing is really smart too. And, and I, you know, I think, you know, maybe some people who are listening who are more strong on the farming side who haven't really delved in or dug deep into the design side. Maybe that's an encouragement nudge for them to totally. try to find some designers who will let you come freelance for them. Yeah. And I mean... There
1: are some situations that are high pressure where, like, those designers may not be willing to let you be a freelancer for your first time. So don't take that personally. If it's, like, a super high-profile wedding and they need six people to get something done in two hours, like, mm-hmm. that's maybe not the best
0: mm-hmm. solution. <laughs> Unless you're just um, stripping stems or
2: something like sure. that. Sure. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, no, like, on a, on a Wednesday, conditioning a bunch of flowers in a shop and watching people even just fill normal orders that's a thing you can learn from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, While you're stripping, you can watch somebody make stuff. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: And yeah, I mean, I think freelancing is such a great opportunity because you're getting paid to learn how to do things that, you know, florists are doing every single week during wedding
0: season. I also feel like what you've done is a role model for creating community and that you're very relational and you basically become friends with people that you've, Um, freelance for or who you know through farming and just through the floral community and people want to hire who they like and know so it it makes sense to make it more than just a job yeah yeah I this is how I
1: do everything in my life which is I find really fun people that I enjoy and I just attach myself to them and go where they're going (laughs) and do the things that they're doing because otherwise your life is super boring so saying yes to things and being game for things and Making friends with people and building those relationships is, like, so important, and it doesn't matter what part of floral, of the floral industry you're in, like, doing that is so critical, and that's how you get customers, that's how you get gigs, that's how, I mean, even as a musician, that's how you get gigs. Right, right. Um, I wouldn't teach violin if it weren't for my bandmate, who I love, being like, I need a violin teacher. Right, right. <laughs> So. Well,
0: um, I'm excited to see what happens with your new new growing area, and it's not that far away. I need to come out and visit. Please do. Next year. I want to have
1: a farm warming party, so oh. anybody in
0: Seattle should
1: come oh, out in the yay. spring. I'll send, I'll send an email. I'll okay, sign great. Sign up for my email list. Yes,
0: so we'll, we'll share your, um, definitely all your social places so people can find and follow you. Yeah, and um, also, maybe some of those photos we've referred to of the, the arrangements that you've made yeah. on the spot. That's um, really exciting. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the band you play with before we close out and we'll listen to some music uh, that we'll add to the end of this recording.
1: Totally. Yeah. So I, um, I play in what we call a honk band and honk is an international community of rowdy street bands. Um, it's also an activist community. So if you see a brass band at a protest, they are probably a honk band. Oh, cool. Um, and So the goal for all of our bands is to bring art to people when they're least expecting it Mm. Um, and to just bring some joy to people's lives. There's nothing better than being in a big city and you see a band on the corner that you were not expecting and they're playing a song you can dance to. Like, that's the best. It's so amazing. I love it. Um, So honk bands are super fun. We all play instruments that we can play you know, on the street, there's no stage, there's no barriers between the band and the crowd. It's interactive, it's participatory, and um, we have such a blast. So my band is called Neon Brass Party. It's exactly what it sounds like. Neon Brass Party. (laughs) Um, We wear neon, we party, and we play brass instruments. So I, I play violin amplified. I have a little amp that I Wear on my side, and I have a little pickup on my violin.
0: Oh that's my, God. my setup for Neon Raspberry. You're party. like a literally a one woman uh, amplification. You, yeah, because you can't carry it behind you on a cart or
1: anything. no. Yeah, so I just wear it, and that's it's hysterical, ridiculous, but it's fun. And now my band has convinced me to start learning trombone. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my current like project is me making whale noises at my house. Oh, I'm learning it. trombone. Wow. Uh, a bandmate is lending me his trombone, so um yeah we have a blast and honk bands in general we have Honkfest fest west there's honk fests all over the country um and Honkfest fest west is here in seattle every year um around like may june depending on the year mm. and it's on the south side it's three days of rowdy street bands who are ready to have a good time um it's open to everybody super inclusive and we love kids, kids dance, no one else does, you know.
0: So, right, it's super fun. like Now, how do you work floral into the honk band? You must wear flower crowns when you're performing.
1: You know, I've tried to get my bandmates on board, but there are not enough neon flowers. So, I think I'm gonna get some design master this year <laughs> and just like go to town and get
0: some neon flowers. Either that or just the zinniest, you know, the colorful zinniest. Yeah, series. it's true. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if anyone has neon flower recommendations, please tell me.
0: <laughs> That's so great. I love that you're blending this this other art form. Um, well, m- music came before flowers, but yeah, now that yeah. you're blending, you're letting it be part of your floral life. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's really important.
0: The the older I get, the the more I realize like being an
1: unabashed weirdo is like such a great thing because nobody cares and if they do it's more likely they're going to join you and come party and like have fun <laughs> with you than anything
0: else so they're just are waiting to be asked
1: yeah like you have to give yourself permission to do the things you find interesting and fun and if you don't like what are you doing with your life so awesome. that's absolutely right
0: <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story you're i just so i just love getting to know you and i know you're gonna have a great Thanks. 2020 hope with, so. with the farm growing with your wedding bookings growing and a, and a little bit of music For sure. Definitely more music. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining my conversation with Carolyn. I love hearing her story, and I know that 2020 will be a big, bountiful year as she develops her new farmland. This is the message that appears on Folk Art Flowers' website. We are a member of the Slow Flowers community, and our flowers are local, meaning that you are supporting local farmers in your community in addition to supporting a small woman-owned business. Since we use farm flowers, you'll get to see the seasons change based on what we select for you. And we might be biased, but we think we create the most beautiful arrangements out there. I couldn't love this sentiment more. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Now, let's meet Tamara Huff of Morning Glory Flowers, our West Virginia guest in the 2019 50 States of Slow Flowers series. A few months ago, we commissioned Tamara, a flower farmer, botanical artist, and New Slow Flowers member, to design our American Flowers Week branding for 2020. You can see Tamara's playful and charming floral ladies, faces, and fashions that she posts on her Instagram feed. This artwork captured my imagination as a perfect way to represent the spirit of American Flowers Week. I asked Tamara to create an original illustration with three botanically styled women to represent the best of Slow Flowers and American Flowers Week. She designed a trio of ladies in beautiful floral headpieces with bits and pieces from the garden used to create all the facial features and their fashionable looks. You'll want to check this out at DebraPrinzing.com for our show notes today. Let's get started. Well, I'm so excited today to continue the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. We're coming to the close of 2019. We've got a few great states to still visit, and today it is West Virginia, and I'm delighted to introduce you to Tamara Huff of Morning Glory Flowers. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Thanks for jumping on the line with me. Um, You are officially our first member in West Virginia, so congratulations. (laughs) Yay! Thank you. (laughs) Um, And I'll just give everybody a little preview into how I met you, is that I just, I don't know how I found your Instagram feed, Morning Glory Flowers, but we started following each other, and I was so enchanted. I am so enchanted by your artwork, your botanical illustration, I guess we would call it. And um, maybe we can talk about that first and then we'll talk about your flower growing. I switched it up on you. But uh, folks listening, uh, Tamara is the artist who has created the flower ladies who are part of our illustration and branding for American Flowers Week 2020. And there, you just have to look at the feed to see what I'm talking about. These are whimsical, playful, fashion forward drawings of mostly women. But, so you'd imagine that the two dimension on paper, but then the three dimension part is that Tamara adds all kinds of flower embellishments, jewelry, uh, hair pieces, you know, garments, it's just phenomenal. So how, how did this come about, Tamara, and wh- how do you describe it? Because maybe I'm not doing it justice.
3: Okay. And I'm so glad you found me on Instagram and it was such a pleasure uh, to create the piece that you wanted. Oh, I love it. Well, um, Deborah... I was an art teacher, um, and a high school art teacher. And one day I decided we needed to be out of the classroom, uh, to start foraging. And we, we divided into groups and we had the most fun making things out of what we had found. Mm. And, um, and so, and as a child, I would go out and gather things. Also, I always was interested in art and botanical things and drawing. So then after the teaching career, we moved to a farm to live close to my parents, uh, who need a little help from time to time. And I started to grow some flowers, and that project came back to me, and I really love portraits. And so uh, I started putting them together. I might see a leaf that would remind me of a skirt or some celosia that would be a beautiful hairpiece. And it just began, began as a little fun thing uh, to start putting them together and, and make the images come which were portraits, but then they began to have personalities.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. You're, it sounds like based on your childhood and your your experience as an art teacher, you're kind of blending, but nature and art and, you know, drawing from both of those experiences in your life to create something really new that I've never seen anything like this before.
3: Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It was definitely a combination of both of, the way that I grew up out in the country, very rural. We only have one stoplight in this area. And it's, uh, so it was a lot of entertaining myself, but (laughs) the art with the texture and the colors and all that was just fascinating.
0: So where, where is Morning Glory Flowers in West Virginia? Where are you in the state? We're almost in the center. Mm. So uh, I-79
3: cuts the state uh, in half vertically uh, from Morgantown to Charleston. And we're on exit 79 on Interstate 79. So yeah, <laughs>
0: just about in the center. Oh, that's great. And and your you said you moved to the farm. How long ago was that? That was three years ago, and okay. that's when I started uh, growing the flowers. Mm. And had you had you left teaching uh, because you were going to be closer to your parents or? That's correct. I tried
3: to uh, to do the commute for a while. Uh, it was about an hour away and it just seemed to be too much. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided to stop teaching at that point.
0: But the, the fact that you moved to a property that ha- what had it been a different type of farm uh, or just had to have, it had some pasture land or like, where did you start planting the flowers? Okay. Well, it's really uh, pretty large. It's 40
3: acres, but about 20 some is flat. And that's kind of rare for West Virginia because we're so hilly. Mm. And right now the farmer next door to us uses it for hay for mm-hmm. his cattle. We just let him use it. and mm-hmm. uh, But then there's about five acres on the other side of the house. And so that's where I've started. But right now it's just within half an acre to an acre. Um, and we have a lot of deer here, so I have a big garden
0: that is fenced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's essential, I can imagine. Um, and so mm-hmm. in the past three years as you've been growing, it sounds like you're kind of trying to really shape your business and decide which direction Morning Glory Flowers is going to go for, for I guess, creating an income source for yourself, right? I mean, there's one thing to grow flowers, but you've got to you want to do something with them, right?
3: That's yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Deborah, I started at the farmers market in Weston, which is maybe 45 minutes from here, 40 minutes, and the response was really great. And then I also brought the prints, and so people mm. wanted that as well. Mm. And then we have a uh, it's called the West Virginia State Folk Festival, and it's a lot of bluegrass music, but it's also some crafts and things like that. And so for this year, I started a pop-up shop there. And the second day, I was completely out of flowers. Wow. And so the response was wonderful. And um, I I think I may want to do a few more pop-up shops here and there. Um, And then definitely the prints. I started an Etsy shop now uh, to sell them. And uh, sometimes I do bags and cards and some things like that as well.
0: That's right. I think you were telling me that there's a a gift shop or somebody in your region that a retailer who's carrying your your cards, uh, the flower lady cards, right?
3: Yes, uh, in Morgantown, uh, shop Hoot and Howe uh, have them and then in Weston, the shop curated and they all have handmade things in them.
0: Oh, wow, that's so cool. Well, so typically when you make these prints, like what is the size of them? In fact, the piece you gave me, um, I'm I'm not even sure how large the original piece was because we've resized oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh,
3: I would say about anywhere from 11, 14 to 16 by 20, something Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. depending on uh, the flowers and the the arrangements. And Mm -hmm. then what I do is I I always want to do it in natural light. So that can be a little bit of a problem because a lot of times I take them outside to photograph them and with wind and whatever bugs <laughs> that come by. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's not. Um, then I take the photograph, and I I do it in different types of lighting until I get the light that I like. Mm. Um, but it's all yeah, done naturally.
0: Right. And then sometimes
3: I'll use found things, too, like um, I like to take hikes around here, and if I find a fallen bird nest or something like that, I might incorporate that <sighs> with the flowers as well. I'll um, imprint with though my easter egg or chickens with their blue eggs and i put that in the nest too so I it's saw kind of that. A, it
0: starts with the sound it's like a yeah. massive headpiece it's so fabulous i love it <laughs> thank well, you well i ask you if you could create a a group of women and and figure out how to incorporate red, white, and blue in it. So you have created this trio of ladies there. You've named them, which I absolutely love. Day, is it Day, McKenna, and Chloe. Am I saying that right? That's right. Yeah. They are just linking arms and they each have, uh, well, Day has a Bright blue hydrangea headpiece. Uh, McKenna has—is that a white rose that you have on her head? It is. And then um, yes. Chloe has red zinnias, and they're linking mm-hmm. arms. And they have. Well, you've done two versions. You did just the heads, and then you also did them dressed. And I, I, I think they're both really fabulous. Uh, but what co- What I, what, what I find about your work is that you have to really look closely, and in some cases, to figure out what is making the the eye or the eyebrow or the um, the smile, or like they they are very wry and witty, and um, they do have personalities. But what are those pieces that you're using for the more finer details? Oh, those are all um,
3: pieces of grass, or mm. everything is botanical. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sometimes it might be a pod, uh, it might be a pokeberry, uh, it might be a blueberry from our bushes. Uh, yeah, but everything is uh, botanical for mm, sure. Mm-hmm. And the way I, I like that piece so much because uh, some of my flower friends, it made me think of our connection mm-hmm. and just how I was, the flower people are some of the kindest people I've ever met. Uh, when I started Judith Stewart, who has a flower farm outside of Morgantown, I bugged her so much uh, asking her questions. And she was just so generous and gracious. And I found that over and over uh, to be the case. What's her farm called?
0: Uh, just, uh, Stewart Farms. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I think you're, I think you're right. And I think that, um, it sounds like you're now starting, you mentioned before we started recording that you're trying to cast, cast your net out, trying to find other folks who are just getting involved in flower growing, uh, in West Virginia, because it seems like the state has maybe just a little bit new to this.
3: That's right. I I do have a friend, Joanna Webb, uh, with three little buds in Cannon, and uh, she did a flower workshop and needed a couple of buckets of blooms, and so I met her, and uh, and, and she finished her workshop. More people had signed up than she thought. Um, There's another woman, Deb Hartshorn, who just started White Picket Farm with her husband. They're going to be growing vegetables also. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and there is a man uh, who is... Yeah, I think he calls his farm Mountain State Flower Farm, and he just started as well. And he sells at the Capital Market in Charleston. So it's happening, Deborah. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's just the sparks, I think, of the beginnings.
0: And yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I don't know. Is West Virginia known for agriculture, or like what? What? Like you mentioned, the guy who's growing hay on your property. Like, are people just growing kind of commodity crops versus more artisanal? Um, heirloom vegetables and specialty flowers i mean is that kind of new
3: yeah it seems like it is new uh and and uh farmers markets are becoming more popular here mm-hmm. um yeah because well we had the big coal industry mm-hmm. down in the south and now that's you know not really happening so much anymore and
0: they're starting to grow lavender on the strip mines oh my goodness wow and- what a great alternative <laughs>
3: I know. And then this has been a big oil and gas area. Uh, so yeah, there's some farmers and a lot of uh, people grow cattle and some people grow corn or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no no real large farms here in the central West Virginia part. It's been a lot of oil and gas and that kind of thing.
0: But the fact that you did a pop-up and you sold out the second day at a big festival, it sounds like there's, there's an interest in and in a, you know, if people know that the there are flowers grown locally. They're interested in, in having, uh, taking them home with them. Um, they just don't oh, know I to ask. So too.
3: Yes, and uh, I found that um, just like for me, my grandmother always grew flowers in her garden, and she would uh, have a long row of zinnias. And I remember sitting in church, and we had, we went to a little one-room church, and she would bring a vase of flowers into the church. And I didn't remember at the time how cool I thought that was. Mm. Excuse me, but um, what the connection made with people in the pop up shop, I think, were some of their grandmother's mm-hmm. memories mm-hmm. that they could remember flowers in their gardens. And that was a really great connection to
0: make. Yeah, like the, the, country, the country garden that um, grandma had, which probably grew a little bit of everything. Um, it, was just a right. way, it was just a way of life, actually, it seems like, you know, that maybe people mm-hmm. are, are drawn back to now. Well, you sounds like it sounds like you are really at a position where you're starting to <clears throat> do some planning for 2020 and beyond. You would mentioned to me that you are designing your cutting garden right now to expand for next year. So it sounds like this is going to go up to the next level for morning glory flowers. I think so. And uh, I started
3: with grow lights last year and uh, just starting to see a little seed of eucalyptus grow was so exciting. I Mm. wanted to run out there every morning and see what was up. And so
0: I hope to expand this year. I'm really looking forward to it. And you said uh, you're right now you're just field grown, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And the greenhouse might be coming. It sounds like that's kind of part of the plan. It, yeah, uh, we're ordering a uh, an Amish greenhouse from Pennsylvania, and it'll
3: take six weeks. So sometime in January, hopefully, if the weather cooperates, we'll be getting it. Mm. And then uh, my daughter and I uh, built a couple of low hoops uh, just with cinder blocks and um, rebar and mm-hmm. PVC pipe. Mm-hmm. And so I can put things in there, if it's not too cold, about a month before um,
0: the last frost. And so that's helpful, too, just to kind of get a start on something. Wow. That's cool. Well, I'm so excited to see what, what this greenhouse looks like. It sounds beautiful. You said it was going to be 12 by 24, which is, to me, that's really large. Probably to some people listening, it's like, oh, a beginner size. But it, you're going to grow a lot. You'll feel that, right? Well, yeah. And I think my husband wants to use a little portion of it for some <laughs> vegetables, too. So. All right. We'll let him have we, one we bed. We want to be fighting over it. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, I I will... I will urge anyone listening to find Tamara's feed on Instagram at Morning Flowers to see some of the personalities of her botanical illustrations. What do you call them? I'm calling them flower ladies, but maybe that's not the right way to uh, describe them. Flower ladies is perfect. Okay. That's what I call them too, Debra. <laughs> okay, great. I mean, I I'm, I'm mentioned the in elements you used in the headpieces for the three uh, friends who are in the American Flowers Week branding, but you also then used peppers and leaves and little bits of celosia for their earrings and then they all have these amazing rough style collars out of celosia and is the one on the right chloe is that a piece of of turf or grass the green it has some moss oh moss yeah 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 okay that's yes. that looks fabulous mm-hmm. and then she has a moss collar and and wristlet and then um the center just uh figure makina has um uh, is holding a a wildflower bouquet and they just they just inspire me I look at this all the time it's actually turned it into my screensaver on my computer so I can look at it every day. That makes me so happy. (laughs) Well we're um, we should try to turn this into a print that people can buy Um, you and I should put our heads together on that Uh, right now when people buy prints um, did I ask you roughly what size they are or the cards I know I asked you what the original was
3: Oh, okay. Oh, to buy the print uh, would be uh, eight by 10 or 11 by 14 or 16 by 20.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, great. That sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then then you also sell cards. Yes, I do. Oh, good. Okay, well, we'll get the link to your Etsy shop so people can see these. And also, I will include the, the finished images of our branding for American Flowers Week, which anyone is welcome to download and use in their own promotion of American Flowers Week. And if you think of tagging Tamara Huff, I think she would appreciate that. So I'll share. I would love that. Yeah. So I'll share all of that, um, all of those um, social media links uh, in our show notes today at deboraprincing.com. I am, I'm just so happy that I met you virtually. I hope it, to get to visit you in West Virginia sometime. Um, but we're kind of far away from each other. So we might have to put that on the calendar. Um, and I just wish yes, you, definitely. I just wish you a wonderful, um, 2020 you're you're doing really inspiring things and it's really what for what I what I love is when I see artists uh come together with flowers as their you know their new life or their new medium but they don't abandon um you know their their hair their background as an artist and I love that you're really doing these playful fun pieces that just uh I don't know they just I think probably make a lot of people happy.
3: appreciate that so much. Uh, I, I want them to be joy bringers for sure. And I just want to say to you, Deborah, thank you for inspiring all of us to grow flowers Mm. and, uh, for the information you give. And I love the podcast. I, it's my driving favorite thing to do whenever I have to take a trip, which I do often. (laughs) Right. I know.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, now you'll hear your own voice on it, Tamara, (laughs) which will be really crazy, right? (laughs)
3: It will be it definitely will be <laughs> I have to I
0: have to say I, I've heard from so many people after they've been on the podcast that you know people are weird like oh, I don't want to hear my voice, it's awkward or whatever, but mainly the message I get is it how empowering it is to hear your own voice talk about your life as a you know a life in flowers, whether you're a grower or a designer or a little bit of both, and clearly as an artist so. I want to excuse me i want to celebrate that and um i'm just I, again i am so delighted you said it yes when i asked you because we kind of did a i did a cold ask and <laughs> you're probably like who is this woman but i'm so glad you said yes and that we could commission <laughs> no, you to I do know this who art you, were,
3: <laughs> and you asked me at the perfect time because um the first frost was going to be a week away and so yes. yes i could gather things from my garden it was perfect timing
0: yes well that tells me I need to start a little earlier next year <laughs> if I'm gonna ask somebody to use flowers <laughs> no, for their garden. get on it. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much, Tamara. And I will share um, her social places and some of these photos to uh, give you a little visual boost uh, here in the dead of winter and uh, gives us the promise of spring for sure. It's been lovely to speak with you, Deborah. Thank oh, you. Oh, I've enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Mm-mm, bye. As I mentioned, our American Flowers Week 2020 branding artwork is in today's show notes at DeborahPrinzing.com, and you'll also find my links to Tamara's social places to see more, including her Etsy shop, where you can order prints and cards. The early bird promotion for the Slow Flowers Summit continues through the end of this month, and I'm so encouraged by the incredible response we've had to date. Passionate and progressive floral folks from nine states, from east to west, and one Canadian province have already registered. We encourage you to take advantage of the $100 off member or general registration rate for the 2020 Slow Flowers Summit and grab your ticket to the Slow Flowers Summit by December 31st. If you've not checked out the details, you can find links to all the exciting news about our partnership with Filoli Historic House and Garden, our venue for days one and two of the summit. That's June 28th and 29th and see our fabulous speaker lineup. By the way, d- day three is an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour led by our friend Christina Stemple, CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. This is rare access, folks, available only to Summit attendees. As I said, check out those details in today's show notes, and I hope to see you there. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 558,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it, too. I value your support, and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the Donate button in the column to the right at debraprinsing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August. Thank you to the many farmers and growers who have been part of this operation to supply peonies throughout the United States and Canada. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more at soundbodymovement.com.